everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. All right. So this morning we're going to be continuing our series on Advent. We're going to be looking at uh, week three, essentially, of Advent. Uh, but again, just before we get ahead of ourselves here with our series um, uh, today and continue on with uh, the focus of week three, I do want to just kind of uh, recap of uh, why we're studying this, what Advent means. Um, so for those of you that may be here not following along with the entire series that we've done, um, but during this season, obviously, we're looking towards Christmas. We're looking towards a time we get together in December um, to celebrate uh, give gifts, uh, eat good food, but most importantly, why we're getting together, the reason why we celebrate Christmas is, in fact, because of Jesus. Now, Advent simply means uh, the arrival, um, anticipation of the arrival, um, and that is, of course, the anticipation of the arrival of Jesus, right, who is the long-awaited Messiah. People have been waiting for years for the promised Messiah that would come and save the people of Israel, and finally, he came. Finally, he came to this world in, in pretty unique circumstances. He came as a baby born in a manger. And that day, December 25th on Christmas, is a day that we get to celebrate his arrival here on earth. Um, and we get to look towards that day now um, as we lead up to Christmas, really just preparing ourselves for, for that time. Um, we've gotten time to spend... Um, you know, reminiscing or thinking about different passages leading up to the birth of Christ in, in promises that we see in the Old Testament. We just see the, the narrative in the Gospels and get to read some of that. But we've talked so far about different things. We've talked about um, the hope that the Messiah brings, that Jesus brings. We talked about the peace that he's able to bring us, right? Um, last week we talked about that and we talked more in depth about what this peace is, what we can have through a relationship with Jesus. Um, a lot of the times we seek peace in different things. We try to find that in different things. We try to find it in comfort. Um, we try to find it in success, all these different things. But we don't just hope and in, in, in try to find peace in those things. We know, in fact, that none of that really is um, satisfactory. It doesn't last. What we can find peace in and hope in is Jesus, is the Son of God who is, again, the fulfillment of prophecy that we see long before he was ever born. Uh, somebody that would come and rescue his people, take them away from their oppressors. And so these people waited anxiously for, for Christ's return. They awaited it for a long time and desired it. They were looking forward to it. And so again, when they get this news, um, this is something that was incredibly encouraging to them. When you have good news during difficult times, uh, what that does is, of course, it eases some of that um, circumstance, right? The difficulties that you're facing kind of, they don't feel as arduous. They don't feel as difficult. They don't feel as heavy because you know what's to come. You know who's in control in this case, and you know that he has good things in store. Um, that gives the people peace. That gives us peace, knowing that, again, we have a wonderful counselor, somebody who knows us and also understands us listens to us, who is mighty, who is a mighty God. God is powerful, much more powerful than any of us. 
He is also a father, right? His son has authority over all things and cares for you like the father. Um, And lastly, again, he's the prince of peace. In light of all that, the takeaway from last week, and I think it's important just to bring up because I think it dovetails into what we're going to talk about today. The takeaway wasn't an instruction, right? Isaiah wasn't saying, hey, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this. He didn't say, hey, stay off your phones. None of that. What he did say, however, was in fact that God is all these things. And because he is all these things, we can come before him and lay the weight of all of the things that we carry. Not just that, though, but lay the weight of ourselves down entirely on his promises. Sometimes we're hesitant, right? We know who God is. We know what he is capable of. We know that he can sustain us, but we are afraid to fully trust him with our whole lives. Have peace in it. Try to, we, we, we still want to just do things at our own strength. We think we can. And again, today we kind of see more of that. But instead, he says, lay the full weight of your life on his promises. Here, here's the truth about God. Do you believe these things? Are you going to live in light of these truths? If you continue to read in scripture, there's this theme here. And I think, um, again, like I said, it follows along with what we studied last week. In Hebrews 12, Paul says this in verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Uh, sin, in a lot of ways, it can hold us back. Sin not only holds us back, though, but everything in life, essentially. All things can hold us back. They keep us from fully um, running this race effectively for God, the race that God has for us. But he says this as you continue to read verse 1, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Looking to Jesus means, again, fixing our eyes on Jesus. We can only run the race as we look to Jesus. If we have our eyes locked on him, it doesn't mean that we're looking at other things, being distracted. Instead, we are looking to him. He is our focus. He is our inspiration. He is our example. Fixing our eyes on him. And this is a section I think I want to narrow in on and, and touch on the most because this is where we're going to go today. It says this, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despise, uh, or despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, today as we get started with week three, this section in verse two I think is what I want to, again, focus in on because this is the idea that I want to touch on today. It's the understanding of joy. And the word joy there you can see in verse 2, it comes up when he says, who for the joy, he's talking about Jesus, right, the founder, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Let me ask you this. This morning, do you think Jesus was excited about the cross? Do you think Jesus was excited about the cross? (laughs) I see a lot of you like, 
yes or no. Pretty confused. It's not a trick question. <laughs> Do you think Jesus was excited about the torture that was going to come? He was excited about being hung up on a cross, the pain, the suffering that that meant for him, the eternal separation that he had, right? He'd never been separated from the Father before, but now would experience a separation from the Father. Do you think he was excited or happy that that was going to happen? <laughs> no. Emphatically, right, no. <laughs> um, of course not. Again, this is not a trick question. Jesus, I would say, um, was not excited. Remember, again, he was fully God, yes, but he was also fully man, right? He was just like, in that way, you and I. And I can't imagine what that would ever feel like, right, to endure the things that he did, right? And, and to think that he knew it was going to happen too. I, I can't imagine that he would have been happy about that, right? It'd be excited, for that, right? That emotion, right? He even says at some point, hey, Father, if there's a way, let this pass from me. I, I don't want to do this if there's another way. But he knew, again, if this is your will, let it be done. I can't imagine what it's like, and I wouldn't blame him, right? Growing up, man, I hated any physical pain. I, I, I thought my body was going to shut off when I went to the doctors and they pricked my thumb, right? When they... When they prick your thumb at the doctors, it felt like the, my thumb would throb for years, um, right? Obviously, they stab you on the edge of, edge of your thumb, and um, it hurts. But that, that kind of pain, I, I struggle to tolerate that. I can't imagine what it would be like to tolerate some of the things that we read about in Scripture. Honestly, we can't even, we can't even visualize it sometimes. It's so graphic that um, we, we can't really conceptualize what that might even look like. Well, that's what he underwent. That's what he went through. So I don't think, no, that Jesus was happy about the cross. Um, he didn't regard that as happiness. However, what it does say here is that he was joyful about it. So there's clearly a distinction there. Um, it says that he could look past, essentially, the horrors of the cross to enjoy the joy that was beyond it. And, and this touches back on something that I said a few weeks ago at the beginning of our Advent series, and that's happiness and joy are not the same thing. Happiness and joy are not the same thing. Um, for the sake of this example, uh, let me ask you this question. Just, you just tell me one thing. What makes you the most happy in life, or just something that makes you really happy? Your family. Anybody else? Something that just makes you really happy. It doesn't have to be a person. It can be a thing. It can be an event, something. Uh-huh. Baseball. Great. Sports. Anybody else? Something? Your dog. Anybody else have anything? Nails, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's, there's no wrong answers here, right? Whatever makes you happy is what makes you happy. Um, you know, I would say my wife for this example, but, um, my wife only makes me happy, so I'm not going to use her, uh, in this context, but, uh, for me personally, one of the things that makes me the most happy in my life is similar to you, JB, just the other way around, is sports, right? I'm, 
I'm incredibly happy when I am watching my team play, playing soccer specifically, supporting them. Some of you guys like sports in here, not everybody. It doesn't really matter uh, for this context because everybody has something that makes them happy. And this is the point I want to get across. When it comes to sports, right, I love watching my team play. I'm super passionate about it, invested in it. Recently, I had the privilege to go see them live in England, and it was amazing. But uh, there's something euphoric about watching the team play, watching them, especially if they're in a final, uh, winning or in, a, in an important game. Winning for me is incredibly exciting. There's, nothing, there, there's, there's a few things quite like it um, to the degree in which it can bring me happiness. Right? I get excited. I get exuberant. It's, it's a lot of fun, sure. However, on the flip side as well, nothing stresses me out or makes me the most mad than when my team loses, for example. Right? It brings me to these highs that, like I said, very few things can, but also to the lowest places. If I see my team lose, sometimes I just get really, don't talk to me right after my team loses because I'm not going to be a fun person to talk to, but I get bummed out. And if I let that like, consume me, I could be upset for days. If, and if it's an important game, a final, something weeks, right? Some of you know what that's like. Some of you are sports fans. Some of you are Browns fans, so you don't really know what that's like to have highs. It's just only lows. Um, but, um, but, but my point is this. Like, y- you experience these highs, and what's incredible about this, this idea of happiness is that the things that makes us the most happy in life, the things that you even said are sometimes the things that make us the most upset, the things that hurt us the most, that make us the most infuriated, right? Somebody said dog here, and man, my dog is a great, I love my dog, but there are there's a few things in life that stress me out more than Romeo. Romeo, when he uses the bathroom or he wrecks one of my shoes, bites it, I'm like, dude, what are you thinking? Right? And he just stares in the corner and then doesn't say anything back. Right? Explain yourself. He can't can't communicate, so you just get stressed out. This idea of happiness, right, that we so much desire, that we seek, right, we we can experience it through so many different ways. But oftentimes, again, the biggest point I want to take about uh, from that illustration here is that it is completely circumstantial. Happiness... It's all about our mood, and, and that can change in a matter of seconds, right? The amount of happiness that we get in life is, is equated to the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And again, what's important for us to take from that is that the things that make us the most happy also hurt us the most sometimes, Happiness is not joy. And I want to clarify that this morning before I get into anything else because I don't want anybody to miss what I'm saying here. To think, oh, I don't need what God's word says here about joy because I'm already a happy person. No, happiness and joy are totally different things. Happiness is like this fleeting imitation of joy. It's momentary. It's fragile. That's not what joy is. It's just a small fraction of what God has for you. Happiness. Biblical joy, biblical joy doesn't break. No matter what you throw at, at, at it, even JB's brick phone, nothing. Biblical joy, it doesn't break. It's not momentary, it's not circumstantial. What allowed Jesus to endure that ordeal on the cross was that he understood the good that would come from it. 
the good of the redeemed, the rescued people honoring God for all of eternity. That is the same mentality that enables his followers to endure, as we read about in Hebrews 12. The same idea that we see in the book of Acts. Again, I reference it a lot, and we did a series on Acts, especially about uh, especially for the reason of being able to reference it when we talk about stuff in the future. So now as we look back at the book of Acts and we see everybody that was persecuted and yet they were still joyful. It wasn't because of the circumstances because if all they cared about was circumstance, they would have no reason to be joyful. That wouldn't make any sense. They were dying. They were being killed, being isolated, punished for what they believed. How could they still be joyful if it was based on what they were feeling or their circumstances? The reason being, it's not. And that's what allowed them to endure, allows Paul to endure as you read the book of Acts. You read the end of the book of Acts in verse 24 of chapter 20. He continues to picture himself here again as this runner who runs this race of life. And he says here, nothing will keep him from finishing this race with joy. He says, but I do not account myself of any value or precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace. In that passage, Paul says, my race. He had a race to run. And guys, each and every one of us have our own race to run, one that God calls us to run with joy. Despite the persecution that Jesus faced, that his followers would face, not just then, but continue to face today, we see that joy, um, they had joy, they received uh, and, and, re- and rejoiced um, because it transcends this physical comfort that sometimes we, we seek, uh, that we get happiness from. Now, maybe some of you are in the room here and you can't relate to that, um, you know, with the highs and the lows and being upset. Some of you... You know, you might just say, oh, I'm built different. I don't get upset. I'm just like that. You're like, um, I don't know if you've ever seen this. This might be a stretch, but Cloudy and the Chance of Meatballs, there's this one scene. There's a police officer. He starts to cry, and he goes, you get back in there. And he sucks back the tear up into his eye. Maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe you're just built different, and you don't experience that, and circumstances don't impact you. You don't get pain. You don't get sadness. Great for you, but you're lying to yourself. The truth is there's something deeper, however, than just happiness. There's something that goes beyond it, and that thing is joy. So again, there are two different things. And today I want to look beyond our circumstances like Jesus did, and, and hopefully we can experience that same joy that the prophecies that we read about in Isaiah chapter 9 talk about, that we talked about last week. Um, Isaiah chapter 9, 2 and 3, I'll read it again. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. These are people that are being persecuted, right? Invaded. It says, those who dwell in the land of the deep, the darkness, on them has light been shown. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as, with joy as at the harvest, and they are glad when they divide the spoil. We have to understand what that means, to be rooted in joy. A joy that the world cannot touch. The goal for our lives is this, that we shouldn't settle for a romanticized version of happiness. I don't know about you, but my mom, she loves watching Hallmark movies. I don't know if anybody else, maybe you are that mom type person that likes to watch Hallmark movies, right? Where these same actors play the same movie every single time, but it's always this romantic novel of, 
it just looks different. Maybe it's in Arizona, maybe it's in Chicago, but it's the same movie just in different places. But it's always this happy, lovey-dovey thing, and it's this picture of love and happiness that we all aspire to have, that we want. But again, there's much more than that. There's an unshakable joy that Christ has brought us through his birth that we celebrate now at Christmas, his death and resurrection, and by the sending of the Holy Spirit. And the first point I want to make for us as we get into our text for today is that, that last section there, by the sending of the Holy Spirit. As we look at the Word of God, the first thing I want to highlight here is that true joy is from the Spirit. True joy is from the Spirit. What does that mean? You cannot fake it. You can't fake it. Right? Happiness, on the other hand, a lot of us, we tend to believe the lies we tell ourselves and we trick ourselves and you tell ourselves we're happy. You just stare at yourself in the mirror and tell them, today you're going to have a good day. You're happy. Things are different. You're the best. Or you walk in on Sunday. You walk in here and you're dealing with so much in your life and you're sad and things aren't going well. Things aren't going well. And yet, when you walk in here and you are asked, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Oh, I'm doing good. Not really just buying the lie yourself, but you kind of just spread it and you paint this picture of happiness and you don't ever want to paint one that is any different than that, contrary to that. But here, in this text, the first thing that we see is that true joy is from the Spirit. It's something that we cannot muster up ourselves. It's not something we can lie about and try to believe in ourselves because it won't happen that way. Instead, true joy is given to us. If you want to turn your Bibles to, it'll also be on the screen, Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verse 22 and onward here until 35. But here in this text, we're presented um, to a man by the name of Simeon. Again, here he is portrayed as a wonderful character with multiple layers of significance, of course, um, not just with the unfolding narrative of the Gospel of Luke here, but I think also for us this morning. When we look, about, uh, when we look at uh, the life at Simeon and we, we study who he is from the short glimpse that we find here, we see an individual who is marked by the kind of joy that we have been talking about this morning. However, what's important to note here is that it's clearly not from him. It's not just something that is exclusive to Simeon. Simeon has nailed this. He's figured it all out. He's able to create this joy in his life. No, it says here that the Holy Spirit is on Simeon. Verse 22, the first thing that it says is this. Um, kind of give you some lead up until uh, the, the verse in which we find Simeon in verse 25. Uh, it's talking about Jesus coming to the temple after he is born to um, fulfill some of the laws that were in place, right? God, by sending his son, although he was fully God, he's not exempt from these laws. He's an, a Jewish man. He's going through now the customs uh, of purification here. Um, and he's going through uh, some of these things in verse 22. We read that in 23 um, and then 24 as well. All the way up until verse 25 where 
we are introduced to Simeon. It says here, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this was a man who was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would, be, he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And he came to the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of law. Stop there. The Spirit sent him into the temple. Again, the Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit revealed things to him here. Um, if this wasn't enough to drive home the point that I'm trying to make here and that Luke is clearly trying to make here, before he even talks about Simeon here in chapter 2, he actually talks about the same idea uh, in, verse, uh, in, in several different verses. In chapter 1, he references six different people with an inclusion of him here, Simeon, who are either filled by the Holy Spirit or marked by it in some way. It's not on the screen here, but I'll read it for you. There's examples in the previous chapter of different people who, again, are going through the same thing. John the Baptist, one. And you will have, in verses 14 and 15, you will have uh, joy and gladness, and you will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Uh, mother's womb. And Mary and Jesus, and the angel will answer her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Ho uh, Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, um, and you will be called Holy, the Son of God. And that's verse 35 of chapter 1. Uh, you have John the Baptist's parents in verse 41 and 42 of chapter 1. There's Elizabeth, his mom. And Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary. The baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are the young, or the, are, are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Zechariah's father, verse 67. And the father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Again, I say all this because there's clearly an emphasis here, right? You guys have all studied this, heard this. When somebody repeats something, there is something significant about it. We see here these people rejoicing, crying out to the Lord, hearing from the Lord. And they're all marked by the Holy Spirit in some way. So right off the jump, he keeps repeating this, filled with the Holy Spirit. And what he's doing is pointing back to uh, Isaiah 61, verse 1. Uh, he's putting an exclamation point on the coming of Jesus. He says here, the spirit of the Lord Jesus is upon me in Isaiah 61. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. The Holy Spirit here shows us that we have fallen short of the glory of God and it illuminates to believers that although we, uh, although we have, Christ can be our righteousness. And if we, in humble repentance, turn to him, we can receive the free gift of salvation. At that moment, we are justified before God, forgiven, and now have the indwelt Holy Spirit within us. And praise God for that. Again, Matt Chandler says this, once from there, we are set forth on a path of patient sanctification. Again, when you come into a relationship with, with God, it doesn't end there. Through the Holy Spirit, we undergo what is this process of sanctification. And the Holy Spirit in us works the fruit 
uh, works together the fruit of the Spirit. And in Galatians, we find that. Galatians chapter 5. Some of you should know that. A lot of you should. Right? And the fruit of the Spirit is love. Anybody know what the next one is? Love. Joy is the one. <laughs> Peace is the one after that. But joy is the next one, right? Joy is uh, part of that fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, follow along with me here. Joy is something that we are marked by because it is something that comes from the coming of Christ and is sealed by the Spirit in our lives. And let me tell you why that's so amazing for us, for those of us that have a relationship with Christ. Uh, anyone here ever ask their parents for, like, permission to go to the mall or the movie or something like that? All of us probably have. You go up to your parents, hey, hey, dad, hey, mom, can I go? Depending on your relationship, you might go to your dad, you might go to your mom, you might go to both, uh, depending on your answer. But you go up to them and you ask them, hey, can I go to so-and-so place? And they say yes, hopefully. And then you stay there because you're like, oh, well, can I have some money to go? So you're waiting for them to give you permission, but also give you the money to then go hang out with your friends. And um, hopefully you have <laughs> good parents that are able to do that for you. My daughter's in trouble. I don't know if I'm going to be able to hook her up like that all the time. I don't carry cash around either, so she's in, um, she's in for it. Um, but anyways, what's important for us to know that, uh, that joy comes from the Holy Spirit is that fact that the Holy Spirit will never leave you empty-handed, right? The Holy Spirit, essentially, it doesn't, he doesn't have empty pockets. If you're in, in desperate need of joy, if you're seeking joy and you come to the Holy Spirit in search of this joy that we're talking about, true joy here, and you ask him for it, he's not gonna turn around and say to you, oh, well, sorry, uh, I don't got anything in my pockets. I just have um, some, I don't know, old receipts from Arby's or something, and I have some loose Tic Tacs. He's not gonna leave you empty-handed. He's... He's going to be able to provide for you more than you could possibly need. He, he, he has a, uh, an abundance of joy, right? It's not, it's not a limited supply. This true joy that we're talking about here is something that we can constantly find in Christ, in the Holy Spirit. It has, a, it has no limit to it. And so, because it's available for us, we can always come and ask for it. Here's the trick. Here's the question. Although it's always available for us as children of God, whenever we want it, how often, how many of us actually seek joy in that way? How many of us instead, we, we're hopeless and anxious and hurting, and instead of asking the Holy Spirit for joy, what we try to do instead, because we confuse joy and happiness and circumstance and all these things, what we do is instead we try to numb that pain, numb the suffering, change our circumstances out of our own strength, fix whatever we got going on in our lives out of our own abilities, rather than addressing the true issue here and going to the Father. We don't do that when, when we're in those places. When we need joy the most, that is not how we often tend to operate. One of the things that we talked about is that our hope is tied into this joy that we're talking about. Where we place our hope is directly correlated with joy. The next point here is that, that true joy is rooted in hope. 
It's not just born in spirit. It's rooted in hope. If you're hoping in different things, if you're trusting in different things, or you're trying to trust in yourself for this kind of true joy, you're not going to be able to find it. You, you can't find it in the comforts of this world, success, achievement, and all that thing, and, and all those things. It, it's impossible. Um, instead, you have to hope in Christ, who is all those things that we said, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He will not and cannot fail you. Unlike all those other things, all the other idols in our hearts, in our lives. Here in the book of Luke, in, in chapter 2, we see the example again of this man who longs for the comfort of Israel, the fulfillment of the prophecy that we read last week. Um, as Jesus comes into the temple, as this baby enters the temple, this baby that was most likely just an ordinary-looking baby comes into the temple, and we see here that following this, this man who we're presented with, he, he notices Jesus. Uh, most likely, he probably heard rumors of, the Holy, uh, of, this, of this Jesus who was born recently through shepherds and all that stuff, but we know that he's not there based on rumors. We know that he's not there based on what he has heard. He's led there because the Spirit led him that day. He's a man that was led by the Holy Spirit, and also, on top of that, he was hoping in God's promises. And that prompted him to go to the temple, uh, not just at that time, but time and time again. And finally, when he sees Jesus, we see this in verse 28, he took him up into his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. See, he was filled with love for his Savior, who he hardly knew. This is a baby. So it's a baby he doesn't even know. He hasn't met yet. And he takes him from his parents and rejoices. And that is kind of like a crazy picture for us to think about now. But he loved this baby who he didn't know. And we have the full, we have the full picture here. And we sometimes are guilty of not even loving in that way as well. But what we see here is that Simon had the peace of seeing God's promises filled in his, fulfilled in his life. He lived in hope of that. He spent time and time again in the temple fasting, praying, and worshiping. And it was his hope that was in him um, that this repetition uh, kind of indicates for us this active hoping. He was actively hoping, right? His true joy is rooted from him hoping, not just because he said he was a hopeful person, but because he was regularly hoping for these things for God's promises. Uh, let me ask you, how many of you here go to the gym? Raise your hand, okay? Awesome. I've seen some of you at the gym. Um, let me say this really quick. I, I'll go through purple patches, and, I, and I'll push through for a while, and then I miss one day, or something comes up, and it's a slow week, or this and that, but then it gets harder and harder to get back in the gym, right? I, it's not fun. I, I'm not very good at it. I don't know how some of you guys go every day and spend three hours there. Congratulations, but that's not the reality for most of us. But let's just say I never went back to the gym. I didn't go back to the gym. I just couldn't take it anymore. never went back. You know, at one point in my life, theoretically speaking here, I was in great shape. Again, theoretically speaking, never saying I was. I wasn't. But let's say I don't go to the gym anymore. Would I still say I work out if I don't go to the gym? No. Would I say I go to the gym or I work out if I only go to the gym when it's right before a special occasion? If I have a wedding to go to, so I'll go the week before. Or summer's around, right around the corner. Let me go do some push-ups. Would I say I go to the gym? Is that... 
Is that true of me? Or if I go once a month, do I regularly go to the gym? Do I, do I say, oh, I go to the gym if I just stop in, peek my head in once a month? I got a membership to a gym, right? And if I don't use it, it's just going to waste. I have access to it. I know it's there, but I never actually put it to use because I'm not actively seeking it out. Listen, guys, we have a hope that is able for those of us that are children of God to bring us inexplicable joy. We have that hope. And we have access to that hope. But you don't have it because you never ask. Because you never even bother to look for it. Because you never meditate on his promises. Simeon, he knew God's promises. It's what his life was rooted on. It's why he was so joyful. That's why when he sees Jesus, he reacts that way. He reacts like this in verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. He's excited and he's rejoicing and he's joyful because he has hope in God's promises and he knows God's promises. If, because he lived in light of God's promises, he is anticipating these things. He is awaiting these things. He is hoping, again, for these things. And that's, that's a huge differentiator here when we talk about um, happiness and joy. With happiness, when you're happy, that's pretty much just it, right? You're just happy. You're just enjoying it. You're, 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 you're excited for the moment and you're happy, but it doesn't really go beyond that. When you're talking about joy, um, joy, on the other hand, is longing for something more. Right? You're currently in this space between. Right? We live in this space between, between Jesus having come, and we know he has already given us victory over all things. He has already died. He has been resurrected. He has ascended. He is living. And we also know he's coming back. One day he will return. And until then, we kind of live in this in-between. And we await the day that he comes. True joy It longs for something more. True joy longs for something more. Yeah, you guys still ask your parents for Christmas presents? And they like give you your Christmas presents? I mean, at this point, I'm going to come out and say it. Santa Claus isn't real, guys. I'm sorry. If you didn't know that. Listen, if if you didn't know that, I'm sorry. Take that out of the podcast version. I don't want to ruin some kids' lives yet. Um, Um... if you didn't know, I'm sorry. But, but you still play along with it sometimes for your younger siblings. All right, follow along with me here. Follow along. We're closing here. We got to close this real quick. You guys asked for Christmas, right? What are some of the things you asked for? Just one example or two examples really quick. A new phone. Clothes, right. A new phone, clothes. Listen, listen, follow along. I got a few minutes left here. I want to finish strong. All right? New phone, clothes. Those are perfect examples of what I'm trying to get at here. How many times have we asked for those things before? Every year we ask for the same thing. We want the same things, right? But it's just different versions of it. 
It's always a new version of something. I grew up always asking for video games or a gaming console or this and that. But it's just a new version of the older one that I already have. It's always just something that's different than what you already currently have or what already exists. It's just a new form. It's updated, revised, but it's always more, more, more because the old is now outdated. It's never enough. And you're constantly seeking out more. And guess what? Next year, JB, you're going to have an iPhone 6. You're going to want the new one. You're going to want a new one. And then you're going to want a new one because what? They keep making more and you're going to want the new one. And you're going to want a new one. You're always going to constantly want more, and there's always going to be something better, and you're never going to have enough, because that's just what it's like, right? If that's, listen, 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 just a few more minutes here, follow along with me. Over time, those things break down, your clothes, it gets torn apart, it gets old, you grow out of them, because these things are fragile, but hope, right, our hope is not we have the privilege of having the entirety of God's word and we know that he has already won. He has made a way. And we look at this fallen world, we know this is not how God had intended it for, to be. And nor will it be that, uh, that way one day. One day there won't be any suffering. There won't be any pain. There won't be um, any sickness, right? Some of us, we, we, we would wish that, oh man, I wish I could just forget and leave some of this stuff behind. One day, all these things will be forgotten. Right? There won't be sickness, disease. At some point in Revelation, it also even says that we won't even need the sun anymore. The source of life here on earth, because we will be in the presence of Christ, we won't even need that. And I long for that day. I can't wait for that day. But let me tell you, even though I desire that and I look forward to it, if I'm being honest with myself, and if we're all being honest with ourselves, if we're all being honest with ourselves, none of us here await that day like we should. None of us look forward to that day like we should. We here say Maranatha because it's the name of the, the church, and maybe for some of us that's just all it is. We don't really even know what it means. But it means, oh, Lord, come. How many of us are saying Maranatha, asking the Lord to come, and we don't really want the Lord to come? We don't even, we're not even understanding what it means, or even if we do understand it, we're so caught up in this world and we kind of are comfortable and we want this life we don't really care for that to happen right now. Some of us, oh, I want to have a family before Jesus comes, or I want to experience this. Listen, guys, I have way more than I deserve, and I love my life. I have a beautiful wife who is out of my league. I'm going to have a daughter here soon, and I'm excited for that, and that's amazing. But let me tell you this. What God has in store for you is so much bigger than all of that. It's incomparable. All that stuff is minuscule to what awaits you one day, and that's amazing. This life sometimes it seems great, and it is, but it is fragile, and it doesn't even scratch the surface of what God has for you one day, and that's the truth. Here, Simeon is, isn't just joyful because he has hope of what, um, what's to come, but he longs for it. He's like one of those kids in a long car ride. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Hey, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Right? Is it that day? Is it this day? Is he here yet? Is he come? Has he come? Is he here? He awaits for it, right? He has hope in it. He has hope in God's promises, but he's not just hoping for it. He longs it. He wants it. He can't wait for it. That's the difference here. True joy longs for something more, for something greater. And so let me just close with this. Let me ask you one last question. Is your life marked by joy? of belonging to Jesus? Or do you struggle to have a heart that is full of gratitude and celebration? 
Are you cynical? Are you angry? Are you mad because of your circumstances? Do you try to mask these, these things in your life, this longing in your life for something more, and you settle for what's comfortable? You settle for binge-watching stuff. You settle for, for, for whatever it is. Guys, there's something much more. And everybody has that longing inside of them. Even those that don't know Christ, even those that don't have a relationship with him, you hear them say time and time again, there has to be something more. I have won everything. I have done this. I have everything, but I need more. I want more. There is something more and something greater, and it's only found in Christ. And in him we can have true joy. Nowhere else can that be found. Only in him. If you're trying to find it in other things, if you're trying to numb it with other things, trust me, that's a tiring life and you're not gonna have fun doing that. But in him we can have true joy. It's made available to you and I pray you ask the spirit for it and that you long for it. Let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, thank you again for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Just pray, Lord, that we would understand where true joy comes from, not circumstances, not material things, not even people, Lord, but only in you, in your promises and what's to come. I pray that we live in light of those things in the now, in the present, as we look back, as we think of how you're with us today, Lord. But I pray that we would long for what's to come too, that we would look at this broken world and know this is not how it's supposed to be. This isn't it. There's something much greater that awaits us, Father. And I pray that we would live in light of that, in great anticipation of the day that you return and you make all things new, Father. We thank you again for all that you continue to do in our lives. We pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right. Good morning and citizens. Hope you guys have a great day. Hey, take care.